Okay, fine. With notable delay, we're starting this history class, shortened history class. Last week, uh, we had a class on, the, on Zoom. Actually, I only had a couple of students on the Zoom, so sorry, I don't have to. I'm busy to. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> and I can, I can, I'm now going to go over it again. And just know, for those of you who missed on it, we discussed the, um, why did the Jewish community in Israel stop existing as an organized Jewish community? Like, and, and we explained again and again that it had nothing to do, I mean, not directly, with the destruction of the temple or even the debacle of the Bach Kochva uprising because the Jewish community still went strong for another couple of centuries after that. What brought its eventual demise was the Roman Empire becoming Christian. Yeah. That is what brought the end. The Roman Empire becoming Christian and starting with the one who did it, Constantine. Uh, so Constantine transformed the Roman Empire, converted the Roman Empire gradually into a, a Christian-based religion empire. And it was later on called the Byzantine Empire. But don't want to go into all the intricacies of, of history of Rome. But eventually, life for Jews became unbearable, became uh, impossible, because the Christians were hard to get them. And, and the Christians and the Romans, that was one and the same thing now. So state and religion had become, and I expanded on it on the class that we had last week. Uh, um, I discussed about this, the thing that where Constantine was the one who put state and religion together uh, when it came to Christianity. Rome before that, although Rome had official gods and, and had like, like celebrities amongst the gods in their pantheons, but still the political affairs were political. State was state, religion was religion, although of course they were, they were intertwined somehow, but still quite separate. Um, priests in different temples uh, in the hills surrounding Rome didn't have anything to say in the Roman Senate. It's clear for you. Like, like, like what, why should he have anything to say in the Roman Senate? The Roman Senate is, is, is the, uh, the capital. It's the Senate, right? It's like, why should a priest be there? Like, what's did he lose something? Is he, oh, maybe he wants money. Uh, but Constantine changed that. And that change of Constantine, unfortunately, will shape our history throughout the antiquity and early Middle Ages and the Middle Ages until, until the Enlightenment and Emancipation. And I said it last week in the class. I said, we can't even start to imagine what our exile in Europe would have been like had state and religion been separated. Yeah, but still, we, we're like very lucky in comparison. Uh, yes. So, so, like everything that we can imagine, crusades, blood libels, you name it, all that expulsion from Spain, all that would not have been able to exist because what the fact that the church would not have gone along with Jews, how would that have anything to do with the state? 
state is state. Yeah. But I think it's interesting in that scenario to think about if, like, then it had become very anti-religion as a means of separation, in which case you still would have had the same result because for different reason, because people still would have persecuted Jews. Well, how do you figure? But no, 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 no. I mean, in state policy, and the way it is today, it's supposed to be based on secular considerations. What is secular, commercial, political? State policy should not be based on religious consideration. Meaning, the fact that you're going to say, oh, I'm going to ask him to pay more taxes. That's the state policy. Why, why does he have to pay more taxes? Because he's a Jew. He was, what? And we are against the Jews. Why are you against Jews? Because we're Christian. So is that a state policy or is this a religious policy? No, but I think what we're, what, from what I'm understanding of what you're saying is that there still would have been, there probably would have still been a, some form of persecution because we were religious in the way that we dealt with our day-to-day lives and not having that separation between Could be. Well, it, it is always very difficult to, to, to try and imagine history. I mean, I guess I was just thinking of it more like in communist countries where there is that separation, the Jews but, were still persecuted for but, being religious. But, but this is the particularity. Communism accepted atheism as its religion. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So, so again, state and religion are not separated. You have a religion. Your religion is non-religion. That is your religion. Communism was a religion, but it was a secular religion. I know it's weird to say it that way, but it was. But initial Rome was religious, polytheistic, but had a very clear-cut separation between state and religion. Those are two different things. How you run the country and the empire, that's one thing. And what you believe in in the valleys is something else. Although, of course, they overlap. It's not, sure, they overlap, but they don't dictate terms to each other. That's a big difference. They are essentially separate. Um, but it doesn't have this way. So this, is, this was the end of Israel. And I told you that the last big act of something happening in the land of Israel is going to be in the year 390. It's the creation of the Jewish calendar, which is the equation projecting in the future through a very, very elaborate equation, formula, when the new years should be, when the new moons should be, when the holidays should be, on a 19-year circle, cycle. I mean. And every 19 years, it comes again, and that is why your Hebrew birthday and your civil birthday will uh, be on the same date on your 19th birthday and on your 38th birthday, providing that nor the year of your birth nor the year of your 19th or 38th, etc., is a leap year, meaning with two Adar. If one of them is a two Adar year, then it mixes the whole thing up. Uh, but if you were born in a year where there was only one Adar, and the 19th years also is one of that, and it will be the same date. And so too, the 38th birthday and the 57th birthday, and so on and so on. It's a cycle of 19 years. 
So we leave Israel now on the side. Before the sun set, the sun rises. That's a verse. See, that's how the sages explain a certain verse in Proverbs. As the sun sets, the sun already rises. Meaning that before night hits on one side, day already rises somewhere else. And so there's never, you're never in the darkness. And here, the setting of the sun was the, 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 the downfall and decline of the Jewish communities in Israel. The rising of the sun was a very old Jewish homeland. Actually, the Jewish homeland that was Jewish before Eretz Israel was ever promised. The place where Avram Avinu was born. the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, Babylon. Babylon, which had been a very, very originally, like that's where Avraham came from, from Babylon, Abraham, his whole uh, running in with Nimrod, uh, the king at the time, uh, the Tower of Babel, where actually, although it, it is not spelled out directly in the Chumash, but know that Abraham is there at the Tower of Babel and having some very interesting philosophical and scientific and theological discussions with the entrepreneurs of that uh, ambitious pro project of building the Tower of Babel. Abraham is there. And when hundreds of years later, actually, we'll make that very simple, it's 400 years the going out of Egypt is 400 years since the promise of, of the covenant with Abraham. That's 400 years. And then you have another... Um, no, so it's about, it's about thousands... It's about... Oh, why am I looking so complicated? Abraham is born. Hey, that's always an easy one. I love this one. <laughs> Abraham is born. In 1948. Oh, uh, yeah. It's easy. It is easy. And 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 the Jews go out of, of Egypt in 2448, and and they and the destruction of the temple is okay. So we have to, we have to go here. Okay. So what do we have? 1338 plus 52. So uh, 40. 1,390 years from the birth of Abraham to the destruction of the first temple. How do I remember this date so clearly? There, there is a technique how to remember it. Because it's nice. No way. It's Shalach. It's Shalach. It's like the Jews were sent. Sent away. And then you know it's year 3000. Okay, it's 3000. It can't be 2000. It can't be 4000. This you can figure out on your own. Uh, Shalach means they were sent away. No, it's still like, when was the church? When they were sent away, Shalach. So, uh, 
So 1,390 years after Abraham's birth, the Jews are back in Babel. Back in Babel uh, for a period of time of 70 years, right? The 70 years of exile. Until the beginning of the fifth millennium. And that's when they go back, and the second base of Mikdash, the second temple, etc., no. etc. Et no, no, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Thanks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here, the, 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 the no, okay. it's like this, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Um. So, so that's that's when they go back. Okay, I'm all, I'm only in Hebrew years now. So they go back to Babylon. They go back. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an overstatement going back because they were not there they themselves. Okay? I mean, Avram Avinu was from there originally, but they go there for the first time. But they're actually come to think of it, their stay in Babylon is a very peaceful, peaceful one. It is always presented in a context of destruction and holala, holala. But what holala? What happened in Babylon? Nothing. Okay. So yeah, the mikveh, a place where you could buy gefilte fish, like, yeah. No, seriously. Actually, there was only one moment where they went like, ooh la la, but it was like more fright than actual harm. That was the story of Purim, okay? The story of Purim is actually a massive story of something that did not happen. No, okay, I'm doing that on purpose to say that in a provocative manner. It's a story about something that did not happen. It's a story about they were going to be killed and they weren't. Okay, so nothing happened. You're right, nothing happened. So once again, you're telling me a story to tell me that nothing happened? Exactly. <laughs> but no, it could have. I could have, could have. Some things could happen. But basically, you think, so nothing happened. No, okay, good. So why are we talking about this? But, uh, the reason I'm pointing it out, that reason is because it is the explanation why in Persian historical chronicles there's no reference to the whole story of Purim. Although we do have a reference of Darius and we also find Ishtar. Which is Esther. No, it's Esther. And we have Artaxerxes, which is Achashverosh, but we don't have the story of Purim. And the answer is, because from a Goyesha perspective, what do you want me to say? Something could have happened, and it didn't. Okay, when? Are you kidding? What? So you want me to... What? No, you're not serious. I can't write that, says the Chronicle guy. You know, like, I'm going to write, like... And it makes sense then why, why Mordecai and Esther decided to write it down then. For us? Because, because it's Yad Hashem. Because we understood what it means it could have happened. But from a non-Jewish perspective, the, his royal chronicles, nothing happened. That, yeah, that would have been some, a part of our history that is huge that would have been completely lost because nobody else would have written it down. True. And also we have to celebrate God's miracle. <laughs> it was a miracle. The fact that nothing happened, well, that is the miracle. Yes. Do Egyptians have in their history that they had Jews as slaves? No. They, they, like they have Poland. Not, they were not okay. So, so, so two answers. Two answers to that. Poland doesn't teach us. That's not true. They do. They just teach us as the Germans yeah. doing all the work. We tried to stop it. Sure, you did. Versus <laughs> the Austrians. Have you guys been on that road trip? They have that. 
Do you know that today there's a law in Poland where you're not allowed to Polish concentration camp? I know. They Why? Because they know that that's how we say it. And, and why do we say it? Like, let's talk about that for one second. Why do we blame Poland? It was not Poland. It was Nazi Germany. But so why do because if you look at the, because you because because you read the journals uh, exactly of the German officers at the Wannsee Conference, etc., etc., they chose Poland because that's a place where definitely no one would say anything. Sorry, Polish people are way more heartless than German people are. When I went to on the Poland trip, we was winter. We went. To a Christmas market, and they literally had shelves and shelves full of Jewish figures holding bags of money. Oh, or like, was, no, I was a board. Everyone's carrying a security guard. They have a children's school right across the street from a still. Like, it's still operating. It's been in operation since before the Holocaust, and it's still in operation. It's a kindergarten to a third grade. Menachem Begin, Israeli Prime Minister in the early 1980s, said, the Polish kid sucks anti-Semitism of his mother's breast. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, also, to answer your question, Jamie, in Egypt, first of all, it's the downfall of Egypt. So that, that yes, it's censored. When, when a story is a story of a debacle and a downfall, that's something you don't want to tell. Yeah. So you move on. Let's pretend it never happened. Second of all, there are references to plagues here and there. Here, it's not, on the contrary, it's not the downfall. They could have told the story how there was this big, evil vizier prime minister who wanted to harm the kingdom and the faithful patriotic Jews, but, but he was caught in his and his uh, doings, etc., etc., and he was killed. And la Yehudim But again, the Persians—it's not a story. It's—it's it's really not a story. It's like why? I mean, because why the story? It's not a story. No, I'm saying what's scary is that like people change their change history. Based they don't on change that. history. No, you can't tell I mean, everything. No, I mean change history. They change what they share about history based on what suits their country. Like Poland, for example, Egypt. Like all of these places, you think like I have a friend who's growing up who's Egyptian, Egyptian Muslim. She literally had no idea. She's like, I found out Passover was about this and then she's like, I have no idea. Like people just don't know. I'm saying that's what's scary. That's yeah. scary. How much you, do I, how much do yeah, I don't know? I I don't know okay, I hear you. It's true. It's true that, and like it, I don't know who said it. I mean, as a history teacher, I should know who said it, but I forgot. Like, if you, if, if, if a people who does not know his history is destined to repeat it, which is true. Because then you don't learn anything from history if you don't. How do we know what's real? How does anyone know what's real? Wow. Is anything real? Yeah, you're going, where are we going with this? Yeah, okay. Yeah, if, like, how do we know it's real? Yeah, how do you okay. know it's real? Everything's censored. Aren't necessarily the things that matter to you're, us. You're, you're, American she almost people. reminds me of this. Hasidim have this, it, it's, it's humoristic uh, uh, tale where they say that 
when a neshama goes back up after having spent a lifetime in this world, in, in, in a human body. So the soul goes back up, it meets all you know, its friends, soul says, and they all go, hey, long time no see, where were you? He said, oh, I went down to the physical world. Oh, tell us, so how is it? Oh, guys, you won't believe it. It's a place you don't see God. What do you mean you don't see God? That's not possible. What are you talking about? I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, how can you not see God? Everything is godliness. You can only see God. Well, I'm telling you, it's a place. Nothing is godly. And they don't believe him. He says, come on. You're making stuff up. Like, how is that even possible? How could there be a place where you couldn't see godliness? And the soul is saying, I'm telling you. I'm like, I'm soul. I'm not lying, you know. I process it. Come on. But how, how, how does that work? He says, I have no idea. It's a nightmare. Like, and you try to say, it's God, that no one believes you. And all the soul says, come on. How can they not believe you? They see that everything lives from God. Well, they don't see. So what do they think it's from? They don't think. Oh, come on. So, no, so, see, see, that's what you're thinking, man. What is real? Who are you talking? Who is talking? Your soul is talking? If your soul is talking, then your soul might say it's not real. That a place cannot know that it exists. Baruch Hashem, we are. I think I'm still sleeping. I slept last week. You know, you know when usually, you know when usually we can remind ourselves that things are real? When people offend us. Jamie, did you hear? You know why we remind ourselves that things are real? When people offend us. I get really offended. Exactly. So if you weren't real, you wouldn't. Because you don't exist. Like there was this guy walking around in synagogue says, I'm a no one, I'm a nobody. I'm just earth, grit, and dirt. I'm, I'm just offer, I'm offer, I'm just earth. And, and this, this was this other person who was just running through shul, didn't pay attention, and like stepped on him a little bit. So he like <laughs> flared up, hey, look out, where are you going? You, 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 you walked on my shoes. He says, okay, I'm sorry, I was running, I didn't pay attention. Whoa, pay attention! Oh, he says, screams at him. He says, hey, wow, for a man who is like nothing and just earth, you sure know how to scream. He says, the fact that I am earth does not allow you to walk on holy grounds. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's how far the bit goes. You <laughs> know, like, until you're covered. The person says, nothing is real, yeah? Okay, let's try to offend you, we'll see about that. And then you offend the person, and the person suddenly reacts, and oh, so you're real, because you react. I said you weren't real. It's a good trick. So let's go back to Babylon. Yeah. Situation in Babel, that was my point, was good. Actually, it was a good place to live. Sure, they had been exiled there forcibly after the destruction of the temple, but once they were there, they weren't persecuted. They weren't camped in ghettos or sent to concentration camps. No, they lived, as I said. They built mikvahs, shuls, like I said, places for gefilte fish, etc., uh, etc. Et it became a small Jerusalem in different places. Even when, at the end of the 70 years, Cyrus proclaimed that they should all leave and they should go back to Israel, only about 5%, barely 5% did. 
barely 5% of Jews heeded the call of Cyrus to go back to the land of Israel and rebuild the temple. The other 95% stayed put initially. There are different theories uh, if over the, the following centuries they gradually also would come in different waves and how many would come, etc., etc. But no question asked that 420 years later, after the, 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 after the, the building of the second temple, when the second temple was destroyed by the Romans this time, by Titus, in the year 70 of the Common Era, so now let's jump to, to civil years, okay? 70 of the Common Era, destruction of, huh? How many years ago? 420. 420 after, yeah. after yeah. 3,000. Yeah, well, well, there's a little bit of discrepancies, that's why also I'm, I okay. pretended, because uh, there is stuff that is still, it, it's still a headache how to, how to reconcile the Jewish timelines and, uh, and the civil timelines, etc., etc. Not everything. Actually, there is a discrepancy of 186 years. That's a big discrepancy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, we're missing 186 years. Oh, wow, that's a big missing. Uh, like, it's like, it's not you're missing a quarter. Uh, like 186 years. How did you lose 186 years? Um, well, there's a couple of theories. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to burden you with them, especially that at the end of the day, none of them are completely satisfying. So, okay. But here we can go very easily to the, uh, to the, the civil year, okay? It's so weird, I think of all of the days that we would have so clearly. Well, actually, in Jewish timeline, it is very clearly. It is oh, afterwards, when we, when we, yeah, when line is up, something, it, it so does, it's not. So in Jewish timeline, what year was it? In Jewish timeline, well, it was, this I don't remember if, it, if the 70 years is right away from the, from the destruction, yes, but did they, the, 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 no, does the 420 sorry, years type of year? Not the 70 years from when the... the oh. The, 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 the so, yeah, but here I counted the 30, the last period of the 70 years. And the last last calculation of 70 years is the Choban Beis English, not the first exact. So I think the last 70 years is 338 plus 70. So here you would add 400 years 500 years, you would have, uh, well, actually, 3,828. But you know what? Let's see. <coughs> no, are you here? Oh, here, he only gives the, uh, he only gives the civil year. Okay. Anyway, let, let, let's move on. So, when the second temple was destroyed, no questions asked, a lot of Jews went back to Babylon. Why? Well, take into account that you have Israel here, okay? Take this away. Here, you have the Euphrates River, 
and here you have the Tigris River. This is Babylon, Mesopotamia. Babylon actually is a city. This is Mesopotamia, which means the land of the two rivers. In Hebrew, there is also a term for land of the two rivers, but it's more to the north, where the two rivers come from, southeastern Turkey. And in the Torah, it's called Aram Naharayim, the country of Naharayim, of, of the two rivers. But that's where Lavan was, OK? Where also, actually, Avram went. Eventually, they first went to Haram, okay? and then from there. It's like the origins. Like, could say the north of Mesopotamia, or the origin of Mesopotamia, Aram Narayim. So in, 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 in English, it's still called Mesopotamia, which is the land of the two rivers. What language is Mesopotamia from? I have no idea. Like two rivers? Yeah. Um, so Jews, now you have to know something. Here. is a massive no man's land. In this country, in this part of the world, it's called the Great Desert. You, can, you don't go from here to here. It's a great desert. It's, it's a bigger distance to travel than the Sahara. You don't, you don't go. So how would people travel? Well, people will travel this way. That's how you travel. And that is called the Fertile Crescent. Because this is fertile all the way here up in Syria, southern Turkey, and down the land of the two rivers. Here it's very fertile. Makes completely sense, right? Imagine for yourself one river, two rivers, and a big valley in the middle. You tell me, even if you're not in agriculture. Is this fertile ground? Yeah, it's going to be fertile ground, right? You don't have to go, here, oh, here, bad. <laughs> Not good. No one can travel. It, it, it was impossible. At the times, it was just simply impossible because you don't have any water supply you needed. It was massive sandstorms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very inhospitable country. It's a big, big desert. So Jews leave Israel and go back to Babylon. Why back to Babylon? For two reasons. First of all, Rome is to the west. Rome's are the guys we're fighting with. That was the destruction of the temple. So whatever is this way is bad news. The Mediterranean basin. Here, you go away from Rome. In ancient, in antiquity, geographical distance was getting away from something. The world was not a small village. So if you can put a 1,000 miles between you and whoever you don't get along with, you're OK. Problem solved. There's no Interpol, right? There's no like FBI international wanted list or, or whatever. Like, no, like, OK, you're cool. You're away. You're gone. Bye-bye. I went away. Rome is here. Well, I went there. What do I care about Rome? Actually, even today, it's actually a novelty. 
I always, I always remember and tell what my, my father told me, I don't know how many times, that the biggest luck my grandparents had as German Jews. My father was born in 1935 in Leipzig, Germany. Like the same year as the Nuremberg Laws, a couple of years before uh, the Kristallnacht in 1938. But in 1938, they left Germany and they settled in England. And my father always says, the marvel was that his father was a Jew that lived in Germany, but from Polish origin. For you see, the Poles, the Polish Jews, knew that when someone was starting to threaten you and saying he was going to kill you, that means he was going to kill you. Polish Jews knew that. German Jews did not know that because they saw that they lived in a world of democracy and enlightenment. So how, what can happen already? So he said, the German Jews heard the rants of Hitler and the SS and thought to themselves, okay, how bad can it be already? There are laws, right? It's not like they're going to kill us. The Polish Jews said, ha, Meshuggener, lucky for us, we don't live in his country. Get it? The Polish Jews didn't understand that that had to do with them. This is Germany, Meshuggener. My grandfather was a Polish Jew who lived in Germany. And he said, okay, make your bags. And he left. He said, because I know how this finishes. This finishes bad. Like a Polish Jew always knew that if they think they're going to kill you, they're going to kill you. Trust them. Uh, but the Polish Jews didn't think that they were concerned. You see how, how borders were something strong in people's mind? Poland. Germany. And the Polish Jews didn't feel threatened by Hitler because Hitler is over there in Germany. What do you mean over there? Like, Germany is like next door. Yeah, but you know, like, what? it's not going to invade Poland. Yeah, think again. Uh, but it makes sense if you think about it. You live in Poland. Why should a Polish Jew be, be scared of Hitler? What's Hitler got to do with it? Hitler is over there. And the German Jews were not scared of Hitler because they thought, okay, come on, we're civilized. What can happen already? So the German Jews trusted the system, and the Polish Jews thought that it didn't concern them. They were both wrong, unfortunately. Eventually, after Kristallnacht, a lot of German Jews understood, but it was, it, for a lot of them, it was too late. Um, So Jews go way far. They go way far. And secondly, remember I told you, 95% of the Jews stayed in Babel, even if afterwards some wave of Jews came over to Israel. But a lot of Jews never left Babel. That means that as this place was going up in smoke and flames, this was a safe haven. It was there. It was a big Jewish community not so far away, relatively speaking. I mean, it is far. Okay, it is far. It's like, I don't know, I said a thousand miles. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. It, it, it's a long journey. But still, 
it could be done. It was an international travel route. It's not that you have to go back alleys. This was the big, big travel route of the Fertile Crescent. It was like the highway of antiquity of, of the region. So you just go, pack, pack your bags. And people possessed less stuff at the time. Okay? Uh, the, you know, the Jewish joke that says that why were the more Jews who played the violin than Jews who played the piano? Because try and hit the road with a piano. So, so at the time, I think they played neither. So, oh, I'll tell you a Mishnah. If you want to understand the scope of, of, of what people had, the Mishnah says like this. On the eve of Pesach, meaning the night of the fourth deeds, a person should check his house for chametz and clean his house to take the chametz out and do so with a candle. I'm going to explain to you what it means. The whole Pesach cleaning, one evening. The Batikas chametz that we do today almost as a ritual, that Batikas chametz was the Pesach cleaning. But for us today, say, are you crazy? The night before Pesach? Like, hello? Like, you want to eat, uh, when do you want to do Pesach? Like, there's the rooms, there's the closets, there's the car, there's, you know, like, hello, how can we do that? One evening is just to check that everything is done. In the times of the Mishnah, it was not to check that it was done, it was to do it. The night of Bedikas Hamas, that's when you put the Hamas away. One evening. That's it, one evening. Why? One bed. One room. One room. How much stuff do you have already? I'm not even joking, my mother starts cleaning by two. Yeah, yeah, I'm or poor room. Okay, I'm it's not a joke. <laughs> exactly. Because a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Once upon a time, people didn't possess so much stuff. Why am I saying that? Because it did make also moving from country to country. It, okay, sure, people had land. There were other difficulties. I'm not making it seem as if it was easy. It was not easy, but it was feasible. People could just pack their stuff, put a couple of you know like bags on, 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 a, on, on one or two donkeys, on a carriage, and boom, you don't need a U-Haul truck. Uh, it's like, you just put stuff on your, you, you buy a couple of donkeys, and you took the whole family, and, 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 and people travel. By the way, the wonderful, beautiful stories of the Yemeni Jews in the late 1880s, and late 19th century, coming back to Israel exactly the same way. Just putting their stuff in a couple of bags and just walking, walking through desert, walking through landscapes, walking with, with dogs, and Pasha walking and walking, Pasha walking back to Eretz Israel. It's one of the most emotional stories, if you think about it, that happened in the 19th century. Just like the, the olden way, just started their way back. We're going back home, we're going back to Eretz Israel. Um, so Jews went to Babylon. So now, I'm going to speed up. Babylon, by the, let's say, okay, I'm, I want to speed up to the beginning of the third century, okay? So I'm not in the year 70. I sped up 150 years. By the beginning of the third century, 
That's where Israel was starting its decline. It was after the death of Rav, not yet, but the snowball, the beginning of the end, was already starting to roll very, very slowly. At the same time, in Bavel will come, if you want, the founder of the, of the new Jewish Babylonian community. His name is Abba, Abba. What's his first name? Abba, Abba, yeah? Abba? No, Abba. Oh. His, 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 because, <laughs> no, no, no. His name is Abba, and his father's name is Aibu. So it's Abba Bar Aibu. And he's, and he's very tall. So he's called Abba Aricha, the long Abba. Abba was a surname that was given, no, was a name that also was given to, as a reference to someone who was going to be smart, like a small father, Abba, someone who's going to be smart. Abba had a uncle. He was born in Babylon, Abba Aricha. Aricha is a surname. He was born in Babylon, somewhere over here, not far from a place called Surah. And he had a great uncle, uh, he had an uncle who was a great scholar called Rav Chia. If you remember, Rav Chia is the right hand and main disciple slash colleague of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. But you said technically he might have heard most of it, right? Huh? You said also that he was the one who probably wrote most of it, actual writing? Rav Chia, yeah. Now, Abba, Aricha, Abba, his nephew is Rav Chia, and he is a very, very scholarly young man in Tyra, and he wants to learn more Tyra. So he travels to Eretz Yisrael, to Tzipori, to the Galilean, the end of the second century. And he learns in the yeshiva of Rabbi, Rabbi Yadanasi. And he assists Rabbi Chia, yes, as you, you said correctly, Sarah, in writing the Mishnah. And when Rabbi passes away, not, not right away, but a couple of years later, having been completely taught and, 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 and formed in the whole of the Tyrish of Alpeh, Abba takes the Mishnah with him to Bavel and establishes a new professional, academic, inspiring yeshiva. He puts Tyre study back on the map of Babylonian Jewry that had unfortunately over the centuries become oh, a, a term that Batya is going to like, very Balabatish. Meaning Balabatish, meaning very, very in, in, in encrusted, can you say encrusted? In, encrusted, in like... In the in, in, in case. Yeah, in case. In material life, not that they have become not in religious. Huh? In snow. That's an interesting expression. In snow. Do, do you understand what I mean? It had become a very. Like they love material life. Huh? Balabatish. <laughs> I don't know how to translate that. Um, 
materialistic. They were like obsessed with it. They were enthralled no, with it. They came no, very no. with it. They were very thrown whatever they were with it. They were like very like yeah. They were frugal, yeah, yeah. The true. They were Torah. Babylon was a Torah observant community, but it was like uh, you know, very well seated in 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 in, in materialistic considerations, and not a lot of religious aspirations or scholarly goals. See what I mean? At that point, they probably just wanted to own more things that they didn't have to clean just one night. Could be. And, and, oh, uh, well, 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 to I say differently, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit like the gap that young people who have ideals and the strife and the gap that young people with ideals have sometimes with their parents or grandparents who don't necessarily have ideals anymore. Just want a comfortable life. Yeah. Oh wow, she's so comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 I think it's harsh. I think it's harsh, but I understand what you mean by comfortable. That's like you know what? Let's keep it quiet. No, we have to do this. We don't. We have to. We don't have to. We can just keep things the way they are. Easy, easy peasy. You know, don't question things, don't shake things up, etc., etc. So a lot of times young people have more ideals. No, why? If things are not the way they're supposed to be, so you have to shake them up. Why do you want to keep them that way? Good, exactly. Sometimes good. Thank you, Jelania, for saying that. Because sometimes it's not about age. Because you see, because Rav, Rav was this idealist. Well, the Babylonian community was more the settled community. Not that they didn't like Tyra study, they liked, but everything was like, you know, cool, chill. Let's, let's not like stay standard, not to say mediocre. Uh, Rav will open up this big new yeshiva. He will not be the only one together with him. Oh, wait, one second. I, I, I read, I switched already to the name Rav, and no one asked me why did I say Rav. From Abba to Rav? Yeah. Uh, because the truth is it's Abba who is going to create this new yeshiva, but he's going to become the Torah spokesperson and scholar by reference. He brings the Mishnah. Is he Rav of the Gemara? And so he was called Rav Abba, and eventually he was called Rav. Rav. Just like Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, eventually will be called Rabbi. And like by us, the Rebbe. Which is interesting thing that Lubavitch did manage to, not intentionally, but to make it, make it accepted. I mean, you're saying there's the Rebbe of this, there's the Rebbe of that, and then there's the Rebbe. Like, who, who decided? Popular vote. No, seriously. It's not, it wasn't a decision. Oh, yeah, I call my over the rubber too. Okay, good. Yeah, now that, no, that's when someone... Yeah. You're talking about someone else. Else, like yeah, yeah, it's don't true. Call, don't other people who are not in Babbage call the other rubber to my rubber? Yeah, that, yeah, like it's, true. it's true. It's true. Shohan Rav. Right, you're saying Adam. So who gets to be called the Rav? That's a big title to Rabbi. So he's not called the Rav. He's called Rav. That's also a big title. From Abba to Rav, what makes, what makes that happen? You know what is interesting? I just realized that two weeks ago. So when you take an index, I have a book, but an index of all the, the, the rabbis of the, the Gemara, like who was who and when, etc., etc., etc. So, so 
Not all of them have the title Rav. For example, you have Shmuel, you have, you have people just called by their names, Hillel, which was also a mark. Some are called Mar, which means no, but sir. Yes, exactly. So you take this index, you have a lot of that are just in the name. You want to say Yoichlam ben Yoezes. So you look up at Yud. And then, what is the entry that has the most, the, the most names? On the Rav, so and so. Rav, Rav, But what is interesting is that index, in the beginning of the list, you have Rav. First, Rav, like Rav, Rav, no, Rav. And then comes Rav, this, Rav, but, but the first, when you, I don't know, maybe you don't, you can't relate what I'm saying. For me, when I, I took this index, it was like so clear. Because you have like a whole couple of pages of Rav so-and-so and Rav so-and-so, and then the first entry is Rav. Rav what? Oh no, Rav. Yeah. Um, so the, the community that was in Babel, they have been there since the destruction of the first space of Agash. So this was a community that had just been there this whole time. N not necessarily all of them. It, this, as I said, this trade route was a, this trade route was a national highway. It was a regional highway. So they had been coming and going. So. As I said, in the beginning, initially, only 5% went to rebuild the second temple. Then, eventually, over the coming centuries, waves of new olim, of immigrants. It's always like this. The first wave of the first aliyah, organized aliyah from a Zionist perspective, is 1882. Okay. So the first aliyah is considered as having an aliyah of 7,000 people. At the Aliyah of and then you have the second Aliyah of 1890-something, 96, 97, right after the, the Basel uh, helpful declaration. Second Aliyah, so that's already 20-something. Uh, and today, well, today it's an average of a couple of 20-some th thousand a year, and that's in low years. So it's continuous waves of people just going so, so my point is, all the Jews who lived in Babel were there since, uh, no, no not all, but yes. The existed since the yes. of the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. Yes. And were they at all, like, I know that they stayed away from, like, they didn't move back to, to Arts Israel when everyone else went, when they went back, but were they still involved in, like, going to, like, give Carbono and things like that yeah. all, yeah. every year? Yeah. Yeah. And up until today, when the holiday of Sukkot is over, and the period of rain is already starting, and we need rain for agriculture, we still wait for two full weeks before we ask for rain. We wait until the 7th of Cheshvan. Why? So that the Jews that are on the roads should get to the Euphrates River. That is wild. Then, once they're there, Okay, now okay, you're ready in your neighborhood. You're just gonna go and raid. Until there, they're like it's still like the big roads, the big travel. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be hit there with with heavy raids because then it's, they might they might get stuck. No, no, no. 
But you understand, people would come. I know it's difficult for us to understand, or not, because today people, okay, Corona changed uh, so many things, but we, but it still, Baruch Hashem, was not that long ago that we remember that people come to Eretz Yisrael for the holidays, for Sukkot, for Pesach, for, for like, they come all the time, right? Because, you know, like, okay, you know, like spending Pesach in Israel, you know, that's the, and that's without the Beis HaVikdash. Right? So people, so, so you go, you go to, to JFK or you go wherever, uh, you look at the flights to Israel in the dates, in the week before Pesach, and you say, oh, wow, okay, hello. How many people are going to Israel? <laughs> A lot of people are going to Israel. Like, why? Because, just to spend pay. What are they going to spend pay? And this is without the base of Megdash. Just to be here, just to be in this magical place. So yes, it was the case. It was also this kind of hub of people coming and going, and uh, it was a big thing. I want to finish this class today with this, this point. Rav will start the era of the Torah study in Babylon. And from his period on, from the early beginning of the third century, as Israel was still <coughs> shining, Rabbi Yochanan was there, and they were discussing the Mishnah and writing the first commentaries of Mishnah, the things that will later be known as the Talmud of Jerusalem. But Rav, with his friend, colleague, and also contradictor, Shmuel, will be the founding fathers of the new Babylonian Jewish community. It's so weird. Will change things. Huh? They were so close in age. I always felt like yeah. they were ages apart. No, no, like, they were close in age. Really close in age. Is that, and, you know what's very, very interesting? You know it's very interesting? It says like this. Rav and Shmuel had a lot of differences of opinion. So Rav opinions prevails in all matters of religious prohibitions, yeah, and monetary. but monetary issues, Shmuel's opinion prevailed. Oh, Why? Because Shmuel was a man of the world. Shmuel was a scientist. Interesting definition. So although Rav was this big Nazi had there, yeah, but Shmuel knows the reality of commerce. So if he tells you that if you said so, you have to pay up, you can trust that Shmuel knows how it works. And this is how you have to do it. Yeah. Um, sorry, I really don't know a lot about the Talmud. Um, so is Rav like the leading commentator? No. So what, after he opened the yeshiva and he brought it back, what exactly happened? Okay, so what will happen? But it's something that is going to last for over 200 years. But he starts the, the, the model. The, 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 yeah, the model. He starts it. What does he do? In yeshivas, you elucidate and clarify the definitive halacha on the topics that the Mishnah discusses. So those are going to be places, academic places, of Torah study, but to clarify and elucidate every single aspect. And things are going to be discussed and discussed and rediscussed and debated and contradicted. And so on with a whole set of rules. And also part of those rules will have to be established. How do we do in such and such cases? How do we say? So they, he's going to start it. But then will come the next generation and the next generation. And 200 years of those discussions 
will give the total of the discussions that you do have today in the Talmud. Talmud was edited at the end, in the beginning of the 5th century, by Ravina and Rav Ashi, and so we'll talk about that more next week, the final compilation of the Talmud, and we'll also talk about a little bit political and religious situation in Babylon, because true, I said that Babylon was a great country, and it was for a long time, but not always. It, there will be changes over there as well, as we'll see next week with Rat Hashem. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. For those of you who went to